Well, I'm off of uh, paternity leave, parental leave, whatever. Uh, you know, did I did I tell you last week, Matt Ray, that I thought I was taking three months, and then I decided the date I was going to return. And it turns out it was two months. Did, did you not know that? Oh, or... uh, I just calculated it wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, I I just wasn't thinking. I can't do calendar math very effectively. Well, yeah, babies and sleep deprivation go hand in hand. Mm. So you know. Maybe you just lost track of time. It's true, and I I forgot to mention that last time. But you know, I I was you know this, this is this is uh, I was looking up the VMware leave parental leave program. It's like four and a half months. It's crazy. You get paid leave, but I think they dock you your bonus. Like or or you know, it's for a slight digression. Maybe this is one of those Latin problems. But why why does the word prorate mean taking away? Right. Like when something's prorated, it means like it's taken away. Like, I don't feel like I've ever been in a situation where something is prorated and I get more money. Like, it mm-hmm. always seems like when I, like it seems like it should be like sucks rate. Like what the like there's something wrong. Is it progressive or like what? Is it just mean like spread over time? And, well, and But I think when it spreads over time, it usually means you make less money. I think, I think the problem, Cote, is you're on the wrong side of that equation. Oh, that's true. Because, <laughs> you know, if, so, so if, as a landlord, I, I must say, I enjoy a prorated rent. Well, but but if you if you get prorated rent, that means like they pay you're getting for less, right? You'd be getting less. Yeah, because it's like I want to move in on the fifteenth, no. so you prorate it so that they only pay two two weeks instead of four weeks right. of rent. Right. I mean, so actually, it's kind of kind of value neutral, really. I mean, hmm. all they're doing is setting it to the right calendar date. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, I guess. It must mean it must be Latin for accounts for days, not in the period that money is changing hands. Which I think I was like, how I'm pretty Latin. sure that's the official translation. That's like right out of it. I think most accountants have to take Latin at this point, don't they? Yeah, that's right. That's what Sarbanes Oxley is actually. If you go to Marcus Aurelius's tombstone, it's what's written on it. Yes, yeah, so Sarbanes Oxlus. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's What's true. the other one in arrears? Have you seen that? Like we're going to payment in arrears. That seems like that always seems bad when yeah. that that word comes up. It just means you owe more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or you were working at BMC in the early two thousands and they cut your health insurance. I think that's oh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. one Shots of my fire. favorite meetings ever. Boy, that lady was we're, feisty. I love that meeting. We don't need the plan. <laughs> we don't need the plan here. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the the worst Latin is probably net ninety. Mm. yes net 90 uh well yeah i i was oh here's what i was thinking this is why i was thinking of of being back from uh from from leave is i started using outlook this week we got you know you go from the pivotal world where you got the the g suite the gmail and then we've moved over into office 365 wow where, where we have out we have outlook I think. And teams. Yeah. Oh, you could finally, now you have some teams content for us. Well, now I don't know. I, well, I still haven't <laughs> been exposed to teams. We have, we have Slack. I don't know if that's the same thing. I don't know what a teams, I guess there's SharePoint, no, right? No, that is definitely not the no, same thing. Oh. No, no. Cause no. We, we do have, I do, I still am spending all the time to explore the internet and figure out like where all the stuff is. But you know, to be fair, I remember when I started at Pivotal and they were using the, um, I don't even know what it's called. Google Sites. Confluence. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they have Confluence at the VMware. That's 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 uh that's uh that's the reason you have to use a VPN. Which wait, they need to make up their mind. Is it SharePoint or Confluence? I don't know. It's a big, it's a big company. They they they're best of breed. It's everything. It's, it's always everything. Best of breed. But I, so, I, yeah, I sometimes people say best of breed when they have one of everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, you know what? I, anyways, I was saying. I remember when I was at Pivotal. Uh, I first got introduced to Google Sites, and I was like, "This is a shit show. I don't understand what's going on here." <laughs> and you know, then I used it year after year, and it made a lot of sense. And so I'm sure, I'm sure at some point it'll all uh, it'll all click together. The only thing, and this is more of a plea to our our thousands of listeners who uh, always give us lots of feedback, but there was one there's one feature, well there's there's one feature plus a footnote I haven't been able to replicate in Outlook, and that is Gmail had this thing where you could send an archive which was just like, it's, is amazing. Right. Cause you know, once you reply, I don't know about you, but once I reply to a message, I don't fucking care about it anymore. Oh right? yeah. Like, that's, that's my default button. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. And I have not found that, uh, in outlook anywhere. Now 
I did find that you could use the Gmail keys, so I switched over to that. But actually, it's not quite true because you can only, you know, there's there's a lot of different ma keys per each action in Gmail. But I think they only chose one, right? So instead of archiving with a Y, you've got to archive with an E, which oh man, yeah, you know, you know, it's just just it's it's a hard you know, life. You know, there's there, there's some Venn diagram of of shortcut keys, and it's like you know they've got the Outlook ones. I guess that's that's the the paper for you, you know, the the, the nice, sheet, and yeah. then you've got your Google ones. Some yeah. of those are overlapping. And then hidden in there somewhere are the Emacs key bindings. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, those, like Gmail has everything working in it. Yeah, and then, and then my little footnote is like, so when you hit E, it'll archive an email, except for those times when it doesn't. So you know, it's it's sort of like a it's like a game of whack a mole. I think I was talking with someone, and I think it works ninety percent of the time, which sounds impressive. But you know, when you no, when you do a lot of email, it's you you really notice. So it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I, do, I, I will give this though. I've used, I've had to move between the Mac and Windows Outlook version mm -hmm. a bunch of times. Now on Windows version of Outlook, the archive button is backspace, which I actually think is genius. I love it. Like yeah. you just, it's like, it's the perfect thing. But then when you go back to the Mac, at least for me, the standard binding is the control E. So you know they had to go deep into the uh, yes, yes. when they have to go on the Mac when they give you the control modifier you know they've about run out they're like they were they're desperate so so that, <laughs> like, but I've always thought like backspace OS. is the perfect metaphor for archive now, like, the, I never want but there's no backspace on the Mac right or or there is but it's more complicated wasn't it when Gmail first came out they famously didn't delete anything like yeah. or, or and and like the yeah. default behavior Archive, was yeah. to yeah okay mm -hmm. now this brings up a question i was just pondering today brandon am i supposed to be using a desktop gui with outlook because i've been using the web app so far and i don't i have i, don't I know. use You're, okay you no know, i think it's personal preference but i i find that it for outlook mm -hmm. the desktop app is more stable yeah. and okay. it has uh but, you know it doesn't have this limitation. Like every once in a while on the web app, you'll run into these limitations. Like that archive problem you're there is probably like a yeah, web request yeah. kind yeah. of hanging. Whereas I don't, I would say I use, I get quite a bit of email. I use the Outlook Mac, mm -hmm. Mac client and I do not have that problem. I do not have I the mean, problem of archiving. Years ago when, when I did use Outlook uh, or you know, Office Mail 360, whatever, um, the reason I used the web interface was because it would apply your rules in the web side and that way if you were using the mobile interface your rules had already been applied yes if you use if you're using a desktop client you have to wait till like you open your laptop and then it pulls down your mail then it applies your filters and i'm like i could never use my phone because you know everything was unfiltered in my phone and you know i'm Hey, at the time, I was the one who opened bugs against Outlook 360, saying like, "How come you only have 150 email filters?" Right? That's ridiculous. You know, uh, I, had a I remember those days. You're a busy person. Yeah. You don't. You're not time for that. <laughs> well, no. I just. I pretty much, if it comes into my inbox, it's going to get a filter eventually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, like the second and third email, I'm like, okay, you are, you know, this company or you know this person or this type of mail, stay out of my inbox. That you know? that is, I had a, I had a lot of time when I wasn't going fucking crazy uh, during this parental <laughs> leave to to reflect, and and I thought, you know, I need to take a new tactic with email, and the new tactic I'm trying to take with email is one, I'm going to use, I'm going to unsubscribe from everything. Because I always feel like yeah. I'm in marketing. I'm curious what other people are up to. And I think after these years, I know what they're up to. There's no like, there's no, uh, there's no interesting novel. Oh, there's no, but, no there's no novelty in the, the kind of like, as we used to call it, spam people are sending. It's all, it's all the hey, fucking same. There's, there's new spins on webinars. How are you supposed to get those leads? Yeah. 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 They just, I just love, oh boy, boy. Oh. Anyways. So I've just been unsubscribing and junk mailing those. This is probably another thing I'll miss from Gmail. Is didn't they have some option to just click to unsubscribe? That that was that was nice. They, but yeah, it kind of worked. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, but then also the first day I set up a whole bunch of filters, and you know I went through and I found it's great. It's well, this exercise uh, can be done effectively when you have. I think I had like four hundred emails in my inbox or something. So already, I guess for two months, I do pretty well with not getting a lot of email. But basically, you can find all of the uh, the email, the weekly status updates from the field, the marketing people, 
the competitive intelligence people. And then there's a fourth one, which is basically an amalgamation of all those emails. So you can filter those emails and kind of put them. I made a folder called FYIs, which I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty good. And then, and then of course there's just rando emails from like, you know, HR and things like that. But I found a, a rule that I thought would be awesome. That would actually solve all of my problems. And this rule was uh name, you know, you are not addressed in the two or the CC. And, oh, yep. and, and so I applied that rule. And then the next few days, I was like, why are my rules not working? Like all the emails are going to FYIs. But then I went back and read it. And it turns out it, the rule is actually uh, you, you, are, you are in the two or the CC. And I can't find the not in there to, to set up that rule because I think that would be the only rule that I would need, uh, basically, yeah. is if I'm not in the two. There, and, and, you know, maybe what I should do, I'm, let me, I'm just thinking out loud here. Maybe I only need two rules. And one of the rules is for any email, archive it, right? And then, but then you allow the rules to pass through. And the second rule that gets applied to every email is if it's a, you're in the two or CC, then move it back to the inbox. I don't know. Maybe that, that would work out, but that seems a little like, that seems crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a bit much. There's a, a Gmail rule. I don't know how I where I got it from, but essentially it stars anything that is to me, you know, or you know, see. Oh, yeah. So, so anything where you're like, you know, oh, you know, let's throw Kote on this list. I don't get added to that. But if yeah. it's directly to me, or you know, I'm in the the two box, you know, it stars it. Everything else gets off to the ether. Yeah. Or, you yeah. Know, but hun- the, hundreds of folders. You know, yeah. the the basis of this realization, like, so there's, I I don't need to. There's no nothing interesting to learn from the marketing emails that I get, <laughs> right? So there was that. But then the other thing was like, you know what? I never read those fucking emails. I always just like look at them and there's this laundry list of content that's really interesting that I should really get to know and be interested in. But like, I don't read them. I just like eventually <laughs> they just like get to the bottom of the inbox and every every quarter or so I just go and like, you know, move everything out of my inbox, except like that one email that's from like the immigration lawyers. But it's just like so that, that one gets a star. Yeah, yeah that immigration lawyers <laughs> and uh, accountants. Very important. But uh, yes. everything else, I don't know, not not very good. But and, and so far, it's it's pretty relaxing. And I and I'm I'm trying. I tried to figure out today applying that same uh, that same approach to Slack. I left a few Slack channels, but most of them are 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 kind of okay. I think I was joking in Twitter. I found a few private channels that are duplicates of each other which is kind of funny, like they need to get together and uh, deduplicate themselves. But do you, do you all have private Slack channels? What's up with that oh, phenomena? Yeah. Is that because like, like my general like uh, approach to typing things through the computer is that unless I own the device or it's like my personal account, like my employer is going to look at it. And so yes. or it's going to get subpoenaed. So like, <laughs> yes. I don't know. Like so, a private channel, a private channel is kind of dicey, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, yeah. This is a little anecdote from work. Um, we had a, a, a session about you know maintaining customer confidentiality, oh, and boy. our, our uh, lawyer said, you know, her previous company they had been subpoenaed uh, based off of the, one of their customers was having a fight with another vendor, and they got dragged into it. And they grabbed all their Zoom records and they found, you know, the, the customer's channel and they they were there bad mouthing their customer uh, mm. in the channel, you know, saying, oh, whatever, you know, the way people get snarky. And, you know, that did not make, you know, they weren't even a party of the in- investigation, but that kind of stuff will get dragged through, you know, any sort of uh, discovery. So she said, you know, hey, don't write this shit down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh I found there is a, a way to delete your own Slack messages. Um, oh, nice. And so I, I periodically run that filter. And, uh, you know, I, I've been in Slack for a long time. But uh, in the case of, like, work Slack, you know, if it's more than a year old, I figure people don't need, you know, my messages. And do you think that, uh, like, so... that purges the archives that are in Amazon Glacier? No, no, no? probably not. Yeah. Probably not. But But after that conversation, things that were being said in public probably... I don't know if they moved to private Slack channels. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, off-brand or you know off off-site communications as well. So uh, mm. you know, 
uh, WhatsApp and and uh, not 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 Discord, but uh, maybe some uh, Signal from time to time. You know, oh Signal, Telegraph, huh? Very exciting. Man, they use everything over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've I've found I found that what you know you know you've got a good relationship with uh, with a coworker when you communicate through like uh, text messaging or Twitter DMs. Then then things are cool. Everything's much much nicer. Than well, it, I I I just woke up, so I haven't ch- checked to see. I, I hear Trump shutting down Twitter. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> How'd that go? Is it still there? A win for all of us. No, it made it through yeah. the day, at least for today. Okay. Yeah. okay. No, no order sign. The weekend's coming up. Who knows what'll happen? Could get crazy. <laughs> oh, oh man, what would he do without Twitter? I know. What would we all do without Twitter? It would be. It would oh, be, I'd be uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, we'd be a lot more productive. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, 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 I turn I turn Twitter off every morning at eight a.m. or I try to. So, yeah. huh? That would be interesting. We'd have to use RSS again. Just <laughs> <laughs> back to email. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll have a few more uh, revelations and uh, little hacks there. I know. I know everyone's always interested in how to be productive with your your Office Mail 360, whatever, and uh, your Slacks and whatnot. It is, uh, you know, my last complaint, and I, and I and I think I was thought of this because uh, uh, Brandon was showing us, I think, a review of two FA options. So we have to use this. Uh, we got to use this RSA two FA option thing, and like it only works in the RSA app, which is the first time I've used a two FA thing. Well, I guess that's not true. With my Dutch bank, I have to use that bizarre, weird FA thing that we you, y'all tried to explain to me at some point, but like I have what? to. Well, you know, I got I got one of those Dutch things. They do this in in the Netherlands a lot where like so how does it work? See, I even get confused. You go to the website and then you have to get your little device and the device gives you a number and then you yep. enter the number into the website and then the website comes back and gives you four letters or something. Oh. And then you do you have some letters and then That's weird. and then and then but then the cool part is it just like once you type the letters on the other device, you magically get logged in. So it's like sitting there listening to figure it out. I don't know. It's really confusing. But, you know, I don't know what the pattern is, but effectively, because we have this this RSA 2FA thing, like the fact that I have a password that I set is irrelevant because every single time I log in, I have to go to the app and enter in the uh, the one-time password. I don't know. It's really bizarre. It's a, it's a, it's a strange situation, but I guess it's secure. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I guess it's secure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was reading through the that recommendation of two FA things, and it was it was concerning because it was the one thing of like, oh, I lost my password, and now I'm locked out of everything, and I have to call all these people. Which uh, I guess that's the intention that if you don't have the thing, you can't access the stuff, which (laughs) (laughs) works as designed. Yes, nothing better than being on the phone with the help desk. Yeah. Yeah, but their recommendation was Authy, if I remember right. That's what I use when I can. Yeah, no, I think Authy was the first to allow you to have the basically move the seed across multiple devices because before that, most people were using Google Authenticator, and that was you know if you lost if your phone got messed up, you were done. There was no way to get the Authenticator code. So I think Authy, but I will say I I like Authy. I use that one a lot. But then One Password now lets you use them. For their 2FA. So essentially you can just use, the, they will generate the code as well. Mm. So it's a little yeah, less secure because you're keeping it all together, but it's incredibly convenient because it, when you, it will actually paste it in immediately. So this is, as soon as you go to say one password, you pick the site and then the next screen, it anticipates it and then paste it, paste in your one-time code. So it's, mm. it's fantastic. Maybe I need to do that thing like that old, uh, that old joke picture where I have a webcam pointed at a piece of cardboard with like my RSA app always open. And, and I can, I can hire like a, I can hire a two FA like a butler to go just touch it for me when, when I, I will say that there's one other I've, I have for, for my, my current uh, job, we use VeriSign and they have a nice uh, feature because it will actually just pop up a, a, a notification on your Apple watch and you just click. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. And that is, that is actually, I have to say is pretty great. It's yeah. pretty easy. Yeah, you know, I always wonder with these these uh like enterprise security technologies, like why they're so antiquated. 
<laughs> have you been to the Enterprise? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know, like, like to your point, right? Like, there's uh, there's almost an annoying variety of ways you can you can two FA into your Google account or with TransferWise or like all these things. Like, it's just like a bewildering amount of things. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just programming, right? Maybe you know you're risking a bug. It's it's uh, quite quite a quite an issue there. Be- beats me. But uh, yeah, it'll be an exciting adventure. I'm going to explore Confluence. Is Confluence good, Matt Ray? Am I going to like that? Uh, how do you feel about wikis? I mean, I used to like wikis. <laughs> uh, well, uh, welcome back to what you used to like. Yeah. I, I wrote, I wrote <laughs> I, a... Yeah, I, and I realized, like, I'm like, I just realized that I just spoke disparagingly of, of wikis, despite the fact that that's pretty much what I wrote my master's thesis on was mm. like, you know, the future of wikis. And it's like, yeah, there wasn't much of one, was there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote a wiki parser once for like the syntax. That was fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I've been neck deep in syntax this week. So oh, syntax. Well, what, what fun times, you know, you know, when you're neck deep in neck deep in syntax and you want to get your neck deep into something else, is there is there some way you might be able to check out a big stack of information that you could just pile your neck into while you're hiding yourself from uh, ancient 2FA devices, <laughs> uh, sort of intranets that you don't quite understand yet, and uh, the letter E key that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, Brandon? Absolutely, Cote. I'm glad you asked. I would like to thank MongoDB for sponsoring this episode. Most people know MongoDB at least by name, as one of the earliest and biggest players in NoSQL. But if you are new to MongoDB, you should know it's a document-oriented database. Now, by document, they don't mean PDF or Word, but rather a JSON-like structure. The big benefit of these JSON-type documents is that they can be as simple or as complex as you need. And you don't need to spend a bunch of time up front figuring out how to normalize your data and join it across different tables, as you would with a relational database like Oracle or MySQL. Now, MongoDB is way beyond cloud-ready. MongoDB is all about cloud-first, and the best way to use MongoDB is through Atlas. Atlas is MongoDB's fully managed database as a service. Atlas runs across all of the popular clouds. The big benefit is that your data can live wherever it needs to be, in the same VPC as your other apps, in the right country for your legal compliance requirements, in the right place to get performance for your end users, or the IoT devices that you are receiving data from. If you're tired of dealing with object relational mapping before you can even start coding, then you should try MongoDB. MongoDB Atlas has a forever free developer tier that you can sign up for with just an email address. Check out cloud.mongodb.com. You can be up and running in just a few clicks, and there's a friendly onboarding wizard to walk you through loading some sample data and performing some common tasks. But there's more. Use code ATLASSDT, that's A-T-L-A-S-S-D-T, to load up your MongoDB Atlas account with $200 in free credits to let you play with bigger instances. Enter the code in the accounts and billing section of the console after you sign up. To learn more about MongoDB, check out mongodb.live, a free two-day virtual conference on the 9th and 10th of June where you can hear the latest news about MongoDB's technology and have the opportunity to chat with engineers and users. And of course, we'd like to thank MongoDB for sponsoring our show. Well, uh, I think last week there was Microsoft Build, which I, I have to admit, I did not pay attention to at all. I saw, I saw, <laughs> I, I think I might've paid att- more attention to the, uh, the background shelving of some of the still shots that I saw and the articles that I read. I, I read, I think I wrote, read one Tim Anderson piece over at the register. seemed good, but, but Brandon, I think you have some highlights from it, which I'm very excited to hear. Cause you know, I, I, when I was at Red Monk, I would go to a build conference every now and then they're fun, whole little world there, but what's, uh, what's going on in, uh, in Microsoft land. Well, I think, you know, this was really for Matt Ray. I think the year of um, <laughs> Linux desktop has happened. And uh, who oh, knew? It was actually going to bring – Windows is the one who, who's going to bring Linux to the desktop. I don't yeah, I don't know who yeah. had that in the uh, on their bingo card, but it's happening. And I think the yeah. first thing for this audience – so as I understand it, they have now uh, implemented the lightweight VM into, you know, essentially uh, the kernel or the core Windows – operating system. So the, I think before they were doing it all through translation. So now you have this nice lightweight VM 
that supports, as they say, 100% of the system's calls. So, Matt, this is really more a question for you. Is this it? Is this, is this it? it? Are we calling it Linux on the desktop is officially here at this moment? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit of the, uh, uh, the, the, I don't know, the uh, pessimist on this whole Windows uh, Linux desktop thing, um, just because I think most of the people using it will be developers um, bringing over that one or two apps. I think this is cool. I, I you know, I, I dig the technology. I, I like it, but I don't think there's going to be a, an influx of general users coming to uh, to to Windows with their Linux apps, um, I don't really know. I mean, it, it still feels like a small market to me. Like mm. probably the number of people who actually care about this is is you know a lot of us on Twitter, like our little echo chamber. Um, I think well, probably clearly the, developers, right? I think oh, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. No, a no, no, nice, I, I, and I think that's clearly who they're targeting, right? I mean, yeah. if you get the features, I mean, for um, too long. Developers have been without XSize on their desktop, right? So now they finally get it. But but I think I think as far as like actual Linux desktops, there's probably if you start counting Chromebooks, right? That's where the yeah. Linux desktop. Okay, are. I'll give you. But I think it's yeah. if you really want it, um, it's it's all there. And I think the the other things that it was interesting. They have the Linux is in the Windows File Explorer, so they have the the Penguin, I guess Tux, right? That uh, he's there, so you can like click around. So that's that's pretty nice. And then. I don't know the terminal. Like I, if I don't know, I guess it depends on how long you've used Windows. I mean, it felt like the old MS DOS prompt was like the least useful thing ever built. Like you couldn't do anything, couldn't cut, couldn't paste, <laughs> couldn't like. They don't have Starship. It was, <laughs> but of course, of course. But the new terminal, uh, it was full on customizable in a million different ways. Funny enough, via JSON, so you could do I don't know, you could make it kind of do anything. So clearly, uh, and then what you were referencing, you can also they showed a demo of running Linux GUIs um, on Windows. And I think I think you have to really come with perspective. If you ever tried in your life to get a display driver installed on Linux to work, you will really appreciate seeing the GUI come alive. If you've never had that experience, you're just kind of like, eh, the GUIs aren't that impressive. But I think knowing what goes into just getting a Linux GUI to fire up on anything um, could be <laughs> very it's painful. So I was anymore. impressed with it. Yeah, I guess it's true. I guess I am like I'm. I'm that's very dated feedback. I understand yeah. it is much easier than it has been. So I mean, when I used Linux on the desktop, it was hard, but that was you know ten years ago. So here we are today. So yeah. so is is uh I mean y'all were touching on this a little bit, but is this is this sort of like some uh some strategic sort of decision here or is it just know. like inside microsoft all, all all the millennial developers they like linux so now that's like and they've graduated up to product management and strategy setting people so they're like naturally we would have linux type of stuff here instead of the uh the dos prompt which i that, that that's what confuses me right because I, I i don't i assume this is a developer outreach um, because it, it, it doesn't feel something that's consumer driven at all. Right. Mm. They're not like, this is going to help us sell more windows desktops. I don't think so. I think it's more like this is going to keep, you know, developers on windows, which is not a hard thing. I mean, we've got the, uh, the, the, uh, the, um, stack overflow developer survey, like more than half the developers are still on windows. Yeah. Um, I don't windows think that numbers... Yeah. Yeah. This just in, um, so I, I, I think it's more of like, you know, hey, this is something cool we could do. And you know, I'd actually hazard, I guess it's not a huge number of people working on it. Um, but it's it's a nice feature to roll out at developer conferences because, mm. you know, that's who you're pitching to. And if you can keep them on your platform, you can keep them using, you know, Visual Studio Code, which probably, you know, is is a nicer experience on windows. And then you give them, you know, just, you keep making the windows, their destination platform, and it keeps them closer to your ecosystem. So again, I don't think, you know, we we're joking about windows on the desk or Linux on the desktop. It's like, yeah, this is really just aimed at, you know, those developers who might've yeah, been yeah. poking around at other platforms. Let's keep them happier on this one. Um, well, that's, I, I wonder though, that's is plenty it, strategic. Uh, yeah. That's plenty strategic. To go yeah. 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 I was thinking, though, is it like a kind of like a, you know, the metaphor that I don't know, it's maybe chosen poorly, but, you know, a lot of VCs, the wartime, peacetime kind of thing. It's like at this point, it feels like the desktop or, you know, 
operating system that that is largely over, right? Windows has solidified itself. Mac and Linux kind of have their place, but there isn't, you know, it, this idea that it's under threat, that it's going to be displaced in any way, I think is over, right? It's it's sort of, hey, it's peacetime. Why not go ahead and just, you know, add some of these features, make the developer community really happy. It doesn't really threaten the big Windows install base that will continue on. And most of the competition now resides in the cloud with Azure and AWS and others. So, I don't know. I yeah. just I think it's like if you go back, I think most people say something like, "Well, Bomber always was, was against it," and you know the new CD uh, CEO is is for this. And I, I think maybe it's just different times. Like maybe when Bomber was really against it, he felt like there was a real threat. And now it's really there largely isn't any threat, right? You know, yeah. Microsoft well, I, Windows. It's it's definitely defensive, right? It keeps people from toying with other desktops, mm. right? And, and so like you know, yeah, I don't think there's a, a serious threat. But what if? You know, hear me out. Somebody came out with a, you know, a an Ubuntu variant that was optimized for developers that came with, you know, your Visual Studio code all worked out perfectly and integrated into uh, KVM and, you know, everything just magically worked right out of the box. You know, you have your Docker, your VMs, and everything is, you know, super integrated into GitHub. Well, you know what? That actually sounds like something coming from Microsoft at this point. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah. you know, so many of those tendrils are Microsoft tendrils and, you know, they, it's the Visual Studio code, the GitHub, you know. And, and so if Microsoft offers that, no one else will think that's an opportunity for me. And, and so, you know, I, uh, you know, another shout out to the Stack Overflow code uh, uh, survey. survey. Developers don't pay for anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the VC don't send your money after the developers. They're not, right. they're not paying for things, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a defensive move. You know, you can call it peacetime, wartime, whatever, but um, whatever angle you want to look at it and you could call it an aggressive move even uh, because yeah. it's aggressively defensive. You know? Proactive. I mean, they, they, pro proactive. That's the, that's, that's the word. It's no, proactive. let's go with aggressively defensive. I'm in favor of that defense. phrase. We I'm got to use that phrase this week. Now, now I, I back to the beginning. I'm thinking is is the pro and proactive related to the pro and pro rated? This this <laughs> might be this might help us uncover what's going on there. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's Latin for Linux on the desktop. Because may, so <laughs> proactive would be being active before something, and you usually get pro rated if you're moving in before the contract term begins. So maybe maybe there's something going on there. I I I don't know. Well, what what uh you know is 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 doing development stuff on a Mac desktop still like mildly goofy? Like you've got to go install like Homebrew or something and do this thing over here and like it's not like out of the box great. Um, I mean, I guess if if <laughs> I, I, yes, I would say if that's your definition of goofy, yes. Yeah, I mean, because like that. I mean, because you know, if, you, if, if you are if you are if you are leaving the the um, the the cultivated you know path of Apple development, if you know if you're not using Xcode uh, and you're not building you know Swift or iOS apps, yes, you'll probably end up installing things via Homebrew uh, to get you know the right developer environment in, in place. That said, I find it you know pretty easy, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. obviously on the the weird spectrum of, I mean, of, it's, uh, it's, it's not developers. a big, it's not a big deal, but it seems like the ideal is like the Linux thing where you just like type in some commands and your shit gets installed instead of having to install the installer and, and things like that. So whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then so now, so now windows, uh, has, has, uh, their own, finally they've added their own package manager, uh, that, um, you know, it's like the third or fourth time one's been done for them. So, uh, that looks interesting, I guess. Um, you know, I thought chocolatey was working pretty well for most people, but uh, you know, I'm sure there are advantages of this new thing over it. Uh, everyone will support it immediately because it's coming from Microsoft. Now, now, what else interesting caught your fancy over there in the Microsoft build temporal area, Brandon? Well, the only other thing I really paid close attention was just Azure Arc, right? So that's there as I guess the name the the session was called Azure Arc and Kubernetes, a developer story. So, so the, the product manager, I actually liked it. I watched it the and videos here in the show notes. You can uh, check it out. It was a good story kind of showing you how to essentially manage Kubernetes using Azure Arc. So you, that just nets out so you can have your compute, right? You can run it basically 
private cloud scenario, run it, run it on premise and then connect it up to uh, other clouds or, of course, connect it up to your Azure compute uh, um, area as well. So I think it's very similar. I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't think uh, anyone t- probably appreciates this comparison, but very similar to Anthos. I mean, I think it's yeah, solving yeah. a very similar problem. And it's uh, and I think what's I think is um, interesting about it is a little bit of a callback to the old manager of managers kind of day, right? So that's really oh, yeah. what you're getting into is, okay, now we have all of this. What is the manager of managers we're going to use? Are we going to use something like Anthos to manage all of our Kubernetes uh, installations and, you know, around the world? Are we going to use something like Azure Arc? Um, you know, AWS is a little bit, I think they're a little bit split on it, right? Because I don't know if they're at the point yet that they're willing well, to say that they'll support other clouds. I guess they, did they mention that last time that they would potentially do that? So, um, and then of course, you know, this is maybe close to your, your, your uh, bailiwick a little bit. Cote would be, uh, you know, uh, Tanzu as, as well as OpenShift. So, you know, you're kind of just watching this all fight it, fight itself out. But I thought the Azure Arc features were fine. And I, I thought the story was good. It's, uh, they're just all very similar. I don't see a lot of mm-hmm. difference between um, at least Azure Arc and Anthos. And I, did, but I know both the people from Google and Microsoft would disagree with that, probably. Did did they dig into uh, you know the CDK support? So you know, <laughs> or was that too too soon? You know, uh, when... I didn't see. No, I can't say I know anything <laughs> about that. So because because that would that would just like totally suck the air out you know out of that because you know I didn't really consider the timing, but you know Amazon announced that the week before build. Um, mm. You know, and probably it's one of the things that's at least the, you know this developer it's in my mind of like hey if i was dealing with this sort of stuff that would be something i would look at i saw um hashicorp uh announced beta support for their kubernetes uh terraform prov- provisioner or provider um so that's on that same same thread it's like yeah everyone's decided you know this is the battleground and now we're all trying to abstract away from it so yeah, I mean, I think that's a really well said summary. So I, it will be. I mean, this seems to be the biggest thing for the next eighteen months. Will be which one of these abstractions, you know, gets traction. Um, and I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think Azure Arc's like right in the middle of that race. I, you know, I didn't think they were obviously the best, but I think I think they had a lot of the features that you would expect. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yay. <laughs> and then, but I think to like really appreciate this, I was kind of like walking through this process mentally, like to really get to the point that I think you appreciate any of this functionality, you have to almost go back to the bottom and say, like pulling, uh, if you want to try some piece of software and pulling uh, a Docker uh, image off Docker Hub is fantastic. It's just what you you were, you were referencing before about. I just want to try this. I want to. I don't want to have to install a million things via Homebrew. It's like you grab it, you start it up. You're immediately using the the thing that you want to evaluate, and it is. I mean, to me, it's the reason that we even talk about Docker. It's like that is a fantastic yeah, yeah, yeah. experience. And then you know, you say, okay, well, I'm gonna actually do maybe something that has some reasonable SLA production. And I think the instinct is just like, hey, let's just manage, just manage the one image, right? Don't just treat it like a server, right? You don't have to do anything, right? Yeah. So it's only at the point where you've now done that, and that that server is not highly available. Your workload is important enough that it requires, you know, more care and feeding. Only at that point are you now at the point where you like, okay, I'm ready to truly embrace Kubernetes and try to understand it and so get all the benefits of that. All right. Then after that, once you've done that, you're like, well, really what I want to do is manage multiple pods around the world, right? With, you know, and manage all the configurations. Only at that moment are you like, do you think to yourself, it would be great to have this mom, this Kubernetes mom <laughs> thing. But like you have had to do so much work to that point, right? You know, that's going to take you probably at least six months of like really getting to that point. I think the people that just start with, oh, I'm just going to do all of this day one and we haven't, we don't even have an application. Like we don't even have a Docker right. image we want to run yet. Right, like there's right, just right, right. nothing but um, and, disappointment and, and, there. And if you've gone through that journey of, you know, from step one to 60, and then you're like, hmm, maybe a mom makes sense now. It's like, probably doesn't, because you've already got all that experience. Because <laughs> you've learned how to do everything, right? Because <laughs> you've learned, learned how to do everything. Files. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, maybe in this instance, I mean, you're, you're, you're making me think that there's, 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 I don't, nuance is the wrong word, but there, there's something different that I, that, that I've been thinking about, like Kubernetes moms or whatever. And that is, so there is what you're pointing out is like, well, you got to set this stuff up. And like, it seems like, 
it seems like there's there's three paths for for uh if you're an organization running a kubernetes thing one like you cluster is a weird word nowadays but you have like one kubernetes cloud let's call it that and and like it's like not not that big of a deal and and like it's like in one place so to speak and so you have that then you've got another one where you've got like multiple clusters spread across different places but it's like the same Kubernetes and the same policy and the same way of running it that that you have. You know, you can you, the same registries and all of that. And then you have this other scenario where you've got like not only multiple clusters of Kubernetes, but like you've got multiple Kubernetes distros and ones over here and AWS and ones over here and like Singapore. Yeah, but who does that? Well, it, hold, uh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And so like, so that's like, so that's like the process I go through is like to your point, Matt Ray is like it seems like. Well, one, I hear your dismissiveness. However, we have all worked. We have all worked <laughs> no, no, no. in this industry. I know who does that. I work with them. They're <laughs> yeah, my yeah, customers. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that is how how things often end up being, as we used to call it, heterogeneous. Uh, but it's also sort of like, I mean, if you get to that state with Kubernetes stuff, it's just like, eh, you know, thanks for for playing. Like, you're just like you've just created like a new mess for yourself. And then, and then, you know, and then the other instances are like, well, of course you need like kind of like a, a, a unified global view of looking over everything. But I mean, it's sort of like similarly at some point in this cycle of figuring out which, which job needs to be done. And this is both on the customer side and the, uh, the vendor side, right? Like, I mean, little secret about what vendors sell to people. Uh, they sell things that they want to buy. So like, you know, it's uh there's, there's a two handed thing going on there. At least the ones that stick around. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I guess that's true. Like the customers that we know of tend to buy thing, you know, whatever. Um, but like, you know, the next thing that's going to come up in the cycle is probably like billing or like financial control. Like that's, that's another popular, oh, like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's almost like there's like, you could make a Candyland board game of like, you know, cloud product ideas. And at some point, I think I think billing. If you, I think when you is it like the third, the second curve you go through, there's like the licorice kingdom. I think billing is like the licorice kingdom of of cloud Candyland. You just you sorry, have to. Sorry, our kids haven't played Candyland in ten years. Well, you have to. Uh, wait, what happens when you hit the licorice is you have to skip a turn because I guess um, I don't know if it's because you get distracted by the delicious taste of licorice. Nobody's distracted by licorice. Well, these fuck, these, <laughs> these fucking Europeans, let me tell you, they love a licorice. I don't know about the French, oh. but the Northern European people, they're they're all over terrible candy. There's the, uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I I mean, you know, I think I think obviously, uh, uh, I'll probably sort out in my head what what's going on. But like, you, these moms are strange. They're uh, yes, I don't know. So so my recommendation, if you are a third party mom vendor. Um, and someone offers you uh, acquisition money, take it. <laughs> uh, you know, there there are a few other moms out there who have been left to the side of the road who, uh, you know, had their chance. Just take the money and run. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what happened to right scale? Leave it to somebody else to solve your your strategy problem. You is, know, it's uh, selling that is going to be hard. Is right scale still around and like a big deal? What's ooh? No, I think they got. Uh, I think they got private equity. Oh, right? and then there's Flexera, all these great things. Apparently, yeah, I got a great ad when I was looking up Right Scale or Morpheus, and then they use a pipe character. Let's do a Bake Off. Now that is some spam email I might open with with a pipe character. <laughs> Let's do a Bake Off. That's uh, that's good stuff. I my favorite my favorite type of spam is is the one. It's almost like you know when you get I don't know if y'all get junk mail in the postal service anymore. But like it, you can you can immediately tell it's junk mail because it's got that bulk stamp on it, or they don't even have a stamp and just like, well, don't don't need this. But like my favorite type of spam mail is the um, if you are not the right person to contact, could you please forward this to the person who is? And it's, it's just, just it's just amazing. Like yes. I, I wonder if people actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that would be horrible. Not. Yeah. So yeah. So. Uh, we've we've mentioned the the Stack Overflow developer survey a bit. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that's probably worth talking about. There's some some more good stuff in there. Um, you know, this just in: uh, Rust is the new favorite language. So, uh, uh, y'all ready to fire up your Rust chops? Get, get on no, that. I'm like, well, I just it does feel like this is just going to be 
flavor of the month. Like, I don't know, two years from now, Rust will be, will fall in 50% is my guess. Now, now, now uh, you're, you, you love Rust, right, Matt? Aren't you? I have not, I have not programmed in Rust. Uh, I, 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 I aspire to uh, love Rust. <laughs> now, 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 why is that? What's the what's the deal with Rust? What's what's going uh, on? So, with so, it? so, Rust is the new C right? Oh. Everything that people hate about C Rust supposedly fixes. And so, uh, when it comes time to systems programming, you know, uh, writing um, command line tools or the internals of your operating system, oh. uh, people. You know, choo- choosy people today are switching to Rust because uh, it 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 is a uh, just a a revamp of of the languages that is you know very good at multi-threading and um, very picky in all the right ways and has a batteries included approach that uh, people generally like. So um, and it's it's you know high performance that kind of stuff. So mm. a lot of uh, CLI tools are being rewritten from C and C++ into Rust. Um, you know, parts of Firefox are written in Rust. Um, you know, the Starship and uh, Habitat are written in Rust. So, you know, it's it's the new it's the new language. Um, I think this was telling in the survey here, right? So, l- most loved Rust, but most wanted Python. And I that that is like to me an internal question: Would you rather be the most loved or the most wanted? Well, probably what you want is the highest paid, right? And so if you go back to that chart, you know, we're all going back to Pearl. <laughs> it's true. That was weird. I was like, I don't why, like why Pearl? I don't understand why. That oh, well, you, but, you know why? Because because I think somewhere uh, somewhere there was a uh, somewhere in this long, large report was was a years programming in the language. And so I think a lot of the people still coding in Pearl are fairly senior and they're working on oh. stuff that's been long lived. Yeah. And so, you know kind of makes sense that they're higher paid okay, um, so it's the old uh, correlation versus causation it's yeah the, so uh, so you know cobalt didn't make the cut for most loved but i bet it's up in the highest paid section somewhere man i can't imagine <laughs> I, can, I can't imagine there's a lot of cobalt action over on stack overflow that that, that doesn't sound like the, yeah <laughs> yeah they're, they're still probably using that, i mean it probably doesn't Netscape even as their browser and yeah i was gonna say is stack i'm sure stack overflow doesn't load on like a vt100 terminal like it's whatever it is they're using over there now now let, yeah. just back to rust now wasn't go supposed to be like the 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 great system language did that not pan out no not really mm. um i mean go is is uh anecdotally you know really good at uh, cli tools I and see. you know small small scripts that kind of fit uh the unix philosophy of doing you know one small thing well and passing it to another application yeah, yeah. um but uh, you know there there are lots of of passionate threads about Rust versus Go, and and it's kind of fallen into Go is really good for CLI tools, uh-huh. you know things like uh, your Docker's and 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 and, uh, and large parts of Kubernetes. But when it comes to you know the internals of your operating systems, Rust seems to be where where people are are headed, and parts of kubernetes you know some of the the kubernetes apps are getting a, a rust versions so mm. you know it, that's just where that is um so you know everything kind of falls into uh its its own ecosystem i guess didn't, you know, chef, the, didn't chef i can't remember which product there was one that you did in rust oh yeah well, we, we got one of everything man uh so <laughs> so habitat habitat which is that's a system cool. supervisor you know uh you know, application um, runtime manager, it, you know, it is written in Rust. It kind of makes sense. But a lot of the Chef CLI tools are written in Go. Um, and, you know, and, and Chef itself is written in Ruby, which, you know, it's in the middle of the curve, you know, nicely. Um, and, you know, and every language has its rationales. Like we're using, you know, Go because it's a good CLI tool. It's, it's easy to write. It's easy to read. Um, it's, you know, high enough performance. Uh, you know, it compiles down. It's easy to you know throw that binary onto other platforms. We use Ruby because it's good at doing DSLs. It's easy to debug. It's great at string manipulation. That's what you know. But Matt Ray, do you use any VBA, which was the most dreaded language? Which, you know, <laughs> that, you no. Know. no, no, no love for that. I thought maybe we'd see some COBOL. No, I didn't see any COBOL. Uh, yeah, at all. Didn't even VBA. Think of it. Yeah, yeah, got the uh, it took the it took the crown as most dreaded. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, have you have you done Kotlin with your uh, explorations of of uh, uh, mobile devices, or are you sticking Swift? I've only Swift? done Swift. I've, I've I've looked at Kotlin a little bit, but uh, but I, I think that's fine. Kotlin seemed it seemed yeah. good. I didn't have but, any, but see, like, nothing against it. Yeah, you know, the the whole world has passed me by because apparently I should be a you know a Node developer, uh, jQuery writing on Windows and Visual Studio Code, and like mm. I'm none of those. Yeah, don't but, worry, you'll but, catch but, up. Just stay with Rust; it'll come to you. It'll come to you, Matt. <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah. the stack. Microsoft is behind Rust in a big way now. My so. my 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 takeaway is is uh, uh, looking at the I you know. I think I rant about this every time is like, I think if you're using the word median or mean or whatever, like you go fuck yourself. You should use the word average. It's very confusing to fit like aver- everyone knows what an average is. And I always have to think about like, although I am in the uh, 3% of people in the computer industry who has a liberal arts degree. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe. Oh, way to go. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, like I was looking through this and like, man, programmers get paid a lot less than I remember. Like it's, it seems that, and I, again, it was the middle of it, but like the, uh, the pay in there was, I mean, I guess it's good relative to other stuff, but like they need to, uh, be getting paid more for all this, uh, well, magic wizardry they do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed, I mean, there's too many charts in this thing, but there was a chart about years of experience and, uh, when you got up to about like 14 years or whatever, there was a jump of titles into like, you know, architects and that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. You know, and they were also like the highest paid ones. And it's kind of like, and they're probably the least programming. So yeah. um, the bad news, the bad news is uh, you're going to top out if you stick with programming um, eventually. You know, there are, obviously there are your uh, your 10x unicorns who are, you know, they're pulling down the massive Google, Facebook salaries. But uh, for for the rest of us, you're probably going to need to talk to people because that's where the money's at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess I guess also maybe that's not overall compensation as far as uh, I don't know. Anyways, that is that is all. You know, we always talk about the problem of like there's no career path for programmers, and maybe the answer sure. is maybe the answer is is like yeah, there's no career path for programmers. Like it's just like any other sort of individual contributor. Like you're going to reach a ceiling of pay, and like if you expect more, then that's like not how it works, right? Like you're doing the typing, not the uh, captains of industry and big picture stuff. I don't know. Well, it seems kind I of mean, weird. You, you, you move from doing the typing to, you know, telling five other people to do the typing to, yeah. you know, telling yeah. five other people to, you know, do the typing. Um, and that's that's where it goes. And some people, you know, uh, like to continue to type. And the reality is you can't have both. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is also like if you go from global to the United States on pay, the 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 salaries double. So it's good to work in the U.S. if, if, <laughs> if you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, uh, you know, I think there are still some online conferences going on. Are there are there any? Uh, do, do y'all have any reflections this week about maybe a reoccurring uh, segment? Online conferences is that a thing? <laughs> Hopefully, uh, ChefConf uh, is next next week. Oh, um, are you presenting, so we, Matt Ray? I've already presented. So I've that's presented. that's the yeah. That's the that beauty. The... That's the beauty of our format is you uh, get to record. We, yeah, we we dragged well record with a live audience. So we did a you know month of of uh, not going to call them webinars, um, you know webcasts or whatever uh, with the live audiences for Q and A, and then those all get bundled into the. Uh, the the chef conf experience. So you know, next Tuesday or the second or whenever that is, uh, depending on your time zone. Um, you know, there will be some live keynotes. There will be uh, some live customer presentations, and the floodgates open, and all the content, all the recorded content's available, and you know, all the landing pages go live. So trying to have everything, but you know, because you can't really, you know. I hate to break it to people doing their 24 hour web conferences, but nobody watches 24 hours in a row. And so, uh, you know, there's not much point to having a 24 hour conference. You know, you might as well just make all the content available. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the path we're choosing. And the idea was, you know, get those targeted audiences by not condensing them all onto one day. And so, you know, the Q and a, uh, has generally been pretty good. So, yeah, no, that's good. 
Yeah, they, I mean, I mean, I've been reading all sorts of uh, self analysis of of how to do it and how to how to do an online conference, and it's all over the map at the moment. But but that's to be expected. People hammer it out. I mean, it's a uh, huh. Yeah, we'll see. Well, there's some other conferences going on that you can read about in the uh, the show notes if you go to softwaredefinedtalk dot com slash two thirty five. That's that's a lot of episodes. Uh, there, we've got a few of them there uh, that that uh, look interesting. You can go online. That'll be fun. And also, uh, as always, also, if you go to that URL, you can go log into our uh, find out how to get get into our Slack channel where there's a lot of fantastic discussion always going on. You can see the links that we'll probably talk about during the week. And there's uh, plenty of banter about things every now and then some feedback about uh, episodes we have like that. It's perfectly fine for your pay to be cut if you work in a region uh, that is lower expense than the Bay Area, which, you know, is fine. My policy is like, that sounds great for you. Uh, you should do that. Uh, and uh, we got all the stuff everywhere else. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 235, you can uh, see a reference to lots of the news items we skipped over, the conferences that are going on there, and uh, other ways where you can engage with our brand. Now with that, Matt Ray, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, well, my recommendation this week is, uh, I'm excited about some, um, relatively late breaking news. Uh, Raspberry Pi 4, eight gigabyte edition just came out. And so, uh, it's practically a real computer. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a 64 bit processor and to go with it, uh, Raspberry, Raspberry Foundation or whatever announced that they have rebranded their operating system. Uh, Raspbian is now going to be Raspberry Pi OS, and it is now 64-bit uh, capable. So you're going to get squeak out that extra bit of performance out of those uh, uh, out of those little boxes, and uh, you know it's it's a fun little embedded device. So that's my pick for the week. Mm. How about yourself, Brandon? Yeah, well, a couple quick things. One is always, if you want a sticker, just email your postal address to me at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Happy to send you one sticker or a bunch of stickers anywhere in the world. Uh, another thing, just a little uh, log rolling, I guess, as they say, is uh, we're going to do some interviews. got some upcoming interviews, Software Defined Talk. So don't worry. Don't have to do anything. You'll see them show up in your feed. Let us know if you like those interviews, who you think we should interview. That's always fun to hear about and then as far as a recommendation this week i've been uh watching on amazon prime the show called zero 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 and it's uh just kind of your typical crime thriller um certain maybe reminiscent of like kind of like the wire and other things complicated stories certainly not i won't put it on the same level as something like the wire but it's uh past the time i've enjoyed watching it so if you're just looking for something to to zone off watch a little crime drama check out zero 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 well, I've I've got two. I'm gonna ha- I got two recommendation errors. One is it's very classic recommendation, just a thing. So I, I've been I've been doing these little videos here and there, and I found uh, something called the I don't know how to pronounce road with a a, a hash through it. I'd never listened to heavy metal or anything, but like <laughs> so th- so they got this one thing called the road wireless go, which is one of these f- funny names. But basically, what it is, you got these two units. And you you plug one of your one the receiver into your phone or whatever recording device, and then there's another unit that's wireless that basically has a built-in microphone, and it also has a uh, a line in so you can hook a, a lav to it or whatever, and uh, it's great. And then you can have you can go directly into your phone to record audio from a, from a lavalier microphone and not be uh, tethered to your phone. It's a nice little thing, and I think it's only like I don't know. I think I spent like 180 euros on it, which is like $500 or something. Uh, so it's not it's it's not too bad, and it's a it's a good little device, and it even has a little uh, uh, I guess they call it dB, but a little uh, volume setting thing. Boy, you know, for all my complaining about mean and median, the audio engineering community needs to get their shit together with the words they use. Like it's all just like a bunch of fucking nonsense, like with these waves and things like that. Like it's just like instead of like like why if I want to turn something up, do I put it at negative twelve dB? You know, like why not just the rest of the world where like there's a positive like if you if it goes to eleven, it's louder. I don't understand. So I I think if if you're looking for like a, like a wireless thing for recording, it's great, and it doesn't have to be a phone. It can be whatever you want. And then my other recommendation, just a little baby operational thing is uh 
So, you know, we got a, we're here in Amsterdam, we got a three story house and it's quite the effort to go up and down there. So normally we keep the formula because every now and then the baby wants formula instead of the, uh, the, the other type of milk. Uh, but you know, we keep it up by our bedroom, but sometimes the baby is way down in the kitchen and the baby wants to eat. So you should keep a little bit of formula down there so you can make a bottle of milk for the, for the baby to eat. Cause oftentimes for those of you who have not had children, or babies, if you give them some milk, they are happy. Yeah. Uh, that generally that that works out well. Wow. All is right in the yeah. world. Feed your babies. That's right. <laughs> Try to feed the babies. Key. Uh, well, with that, this has been another uh, episode of Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, as mentioned earlier, you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com/slash two thirty five. All sorts of other stuff there. And uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Bye.